Welcome, welcome, welcome to Redacted on this Thursday night. I'm Clayton Morris. I'm Natalie Morris. And on this show, we hold powerful people to account, and I'm hearing myself twice. Yeah. It, this show audio is so nice, I'm hearing myself twice. Uh, on this show, we really try to tackle the stories you're not going to see in the mainstream media. Uh, we are going to cover a lot of stories on the show today. Um, and some breaking news that we just had a few moments ago, which is YouTube changing their COVID guidelines, completely switching what they've allowed people to say on this platform. So we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Yes, we are unleashed and unbridled and a little upset about, <laughs> yes. about this. I, I mean, it really is crazy. And it's we were literally going back and forth about an hour before the show with our mouths open like, oh, Really? Did this just actually happen? Twitter's exploding about it. I mean, it's a. I, I, I had to check the clock and make sure, or check the calendar, and make sure it's uh, not April Fool's Day or something. But it's. <laughs> I, I literally thought it was like an April Fool's Day joke. Yeah, it's crazy town. Uh, we also have several stories today about COVID, as well as several stories about President Trump, uh, and some global news about uh, President Putin and Serbia. So we're going to get to all of that. As Redacted starts right now. Welcome in on this Thursday evening. So glad to have you all here. And I just want to say thank you so much for subscribing to the channel, being a great part of our show. Really, really uh, thank you for that. And I want to say, you know, when you subscribe to the channel, there's there's something that you can do, uh, which is make sure you turn on that bell notification so you'll be notified when you receive when we go live. And what you have to do is actually hover over the bell then turn on always so you're always notified. Then in your YouTube app, if you're using YouTube, you have to go into the YouTube settings, okay? And then you need to turn on notifications. So then you need to turn on notifications. Now I'm hearing myself twice again. It was good for a minute. Now it's back. Yeah. I don't we, like uh, that. Yeah, can we fix that? I'm hearing myself twice again. It was good for good for a minute. Now it's back again. Yeah, sorry. Just kind of keep talking. We'll, we'll have to, we're okay. working on it. There. Okay. Well, you won't know if unless, okay, unless we tell you. So now it's good. It's all good. I love okay. how every day of the show. Don't the, change uh, something. Don't change something. Every day it changes. <laughs> like, all right. You want to talk about something that changes every day, um, the narrative around the pandemic. So just before we went to air, we noticed that our uh, fellow YouTuber, Tim Poole, had put online that the guidelines around YouTube's community guidelines and safety guidelines around COVID had changed. So he was kind enough to post an archive of what the guidelines were before. So we're gonna show those to you and show what they are now because it obviously affects the conversation that we could have, that we can have here. Now, I wanna remind you that on this channel, we have had community strikes for saying that vaccines do not prevent the contraction of COVID. We said that pretty early in the pandemic based on this emerging science or actually existing science 
And we were given community bands and then put on a two-week hold where we could not communicate with you. We could not broadcast. And we had a strike against our channel, right? Um, and so these were things that... It's, obviously, it's hard for us. And I guess it'll be a test because you just said it again. So we'll see if we get another strike. But we are allowed to say it now. Now we're allowed to say this, it. So YouTube, so previously. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Well, as you say, let's just have a conversation about it. I mean, to me, this is astounding. Like, so they, if you go to their page, if you go to Google's page now on YouTube for for their community guidelines around COVID, I mean, it's like dramatic change from what it was just yesterday. Yes. Right? So if you look at the archive that we're going to show you now, you can see that it used to say that these were things that were forbidden. You could not say this thing here highlighted claims these types of videos were disallowed on YouTube by saying that the vaccine, well, am I going to say it? I don't know. I'm not going to say it. I'm going to let you read it on your screen and I apologize if you're listening to the audio version. Those were things you were not supposed to say. Now, the guidelines up until today, this is the, a screenshot of the exact same page, but that is missing, right? So this is now, no, the one previous, number two. Um, this is now what you are not allowed to say. And you see, this is very so different. If you're listening so to I'm audio, not gonna say that. Okay, but if you're listening to the audio version of this, and you don't get to see what, what's, what's being read on your screen here, what it says is that uh, they do not reduce the risk of serious illness. The thing, the thing that you would stick in your arm does not reduce. So you can't <laughs> so say that. So that's the opposite. It's the opposite well, of what you were allowed to say before. You can't say that they, okay, right. But then also further in examples of what other content that you're not supposed to say are these things here. Now. You cannot say this now? You can't say that they do prevent the thing the thing <laughs> right so before you couldn't say that it didn't prevent contraction right now you can't say that it does prevent the contraction now in all fairness that third example was there before in archives that we so you couldn't say that covid vaccines were a surefire way to prevent you know what but you also couldn't say that they prevented contraction, right? So these rules are it's completely like, go ahead, Philip. Oh, I was just gonna say it's it's it amazes me that um, like for for anybody like like looking at this from the outside in, this is what we've had to deal with is like we can't even have a conversation about what it is we can and cannot talk about because we don't know what they what they mean. You know, it's like right. it's like playing the shell game or three card three card Bonnie with YouTube. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, well, and also it's just baffling is is Robert Malone and Peter McCullough are they going to be allowed to talk on YouTube again now? Like, like when do those bans lift? Right. I mean, I'm or gonna are they going to go back? Are they going to go back and retroactively? You know, I tweeted this just a few minutes ago in response to Tim Pool's message, which is, are they going to go now back and retroactively uh, compensate YouTubers for lost revenue? Like we were down for a number of weeks because yeah. we told the truth on this channel, and they were told we were spreading misinformation. Right. Well, now and the you, video. What's that? I was just going to say the video in question was upwards of 200 and some odd thousand views. That's revenue that that could have get that could have very well gone to 500,000 a million. That's a, quite a bit of revenue just gone. 
Yeah, and the reason it was going viral is because we were telling the truth, right? We, and we were covering the science, and the, the, we were covering the documents, we were covering the science. Didn't matter, right? They still pulled it down because it was against their terms of service, their violation. So, I mean, the censorship is real, and it's unbelievable, but I want to see if they're going to go back and, like, retroactively remove people's strikes now, if they're going to go back and start to maybe compensate or people. Or start to strike people who did say that it did absolutely prevent contraction because we've played clips of Rachel Maddow saying that once you get this, that it, you know, once you get the, you know what? In your arm, yes. Then the virus dies there. You can't get it. You can't, right? This is, so can, will they strike those people who have been saying those things? Because that was just based on sentiment and politics, right? And they um, have gone back on channels and retroactively taken videos and suspended people to give them three strikes right in a row for videos that they did five, 10 years ago. So it's only fair. Right. Yeah. yeah. And beyond the, the revenue and the money and the opportunity to build your audience is also, I'm just going to admit how it affected us personally, because we were covering things that we were reading that we thought merited a legitimate discussion. Right. right? And to news. get punished for that, I thought, well, what are we doing? Did we do bad? Are we trying to, because we're not telling you whether you should make the decision, whether or not to go get a vaccine. We're presenting you with information that you, that we all have the right to have. And we felt really bad about it. Like we, we walked around the house, like we had just gotten spanked by daddy. Right. Right. Well, it, and it's equivalent. It was awful. It's the equivalent. It is. And it's the equivalent of like the police showing up at your house. Let's say they're just there to, to do some minor thing, but they show up at your house. And so automatically your neighbors are like, oh, they must have done something really bad. Yeah. It's like yeah. your reputation is on the line because people then think, oh, they're spreading lies. Right. So it's like yeah. your reputation is hit. You know, they'll go after these people. They write up news articles about it. The, I think the, the Guardian did a, or the Daily Mail or whoever did like a whole hit piece on uh, Russell Brand. Um, they've gone after Joe Rogan, vil, you know, vilified these people. Yes, Kim Iverson was called a conspiracy theorist for being one of the first ones right. to say that this was not preventing the spread, right? And um, hate mail and all of this, you know. I mean, we're going to talk more about the pandemic and more of that just infuriating narrative that has been shoved down our throats. But this is a big one, especially for us, because we all meet on this platform with sincere intentions to discuss all information and make relevant choices. And when we're not allowed to do that, and now all of a sudden we are, it does feel like I have this vision of like the scene from Captain America where she's like, I've been fighting with my hand behind my back. Like, yeah. oh, okay. Now we can talk well, about I, I, one more thing. Well, let me just say the reason this is so important is, I mean, look, we're on Rumble, we're on Twitch, we're on other platforms, but YouTube, as we just reported a few weeks ago, is now the number one video source for for like for most teens, twenty year olds, thirty year. They're not getting. They're not. They're not getting a cable subscription. YouTube is like their form of cable. Mm -hmm. It is an incredibly powerful platform. And when I was a news anchor at Fox News Channel, um, I never had someone tell me you can't say that. Don't talk about that. Don't say that. No, 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 no. We're not doing that. You can't say that. You can't say that. No one ever said that to me. But YouTube has. Yeah. YouTube has banned us for covering factual events, factual news, pulled us offline, banned us. So it's really remarkable when you want it, the power that these companies have. The power sits in Silicon Valley, not in Washington, D.C. It sits in Silicon Valley. 
And so the fact that Twitter can go and ban people um, because the White House tells them to, um, and that's important, or the censorship across Google, the de, the demonetizing of content, the deplatforming of people, the hiding well, of I search was, results because they don't like really your curious. politics. Yeah, and I and I asked this in in our our personal chats this morning. Like, is there ever a point where like if there's information that's hidden, and that information could have saved lives or something, and that information comes to light later? Can there be a class action lawsuit against them for for hiding the information that could have saved lives potentially? Hmm. Um, it would be really hard to make that a class of yeah. people who were because harmed in the same. I, way. I think. Yeah, I would I would think that they they could easily make the argument that they were right at the time. You know what I mean? Like yes. it's, even though they weren't, but they could say like like based on this, they were acting in good faith. Right. And Based on what the CDC it. was telling us, et cetera, et cetera. They could like lean on that. Right. Um, which is what actually a lot of high profile business people can do to get out of a fix, a jam, because they can basically say my accountant looked over all these documents and then therefore my accountant is to blame. And that actually holds up in court. So you can actually pawn that blame off on a higher power. I don't know what the exact term is, but it's like yes, higher, higher because power. Because they were constantly deferring to the CDC and the World Health Organization and saying, you cannot say anything that goes against these guidelines, right? Um, and so that is fair enough. Uh, but when there was science that actually questioned those guidelines, they shut that down as well, right? Right. Um, and so that's where that becomes tricky. And sure, they were, you know, you could give them the benefit of the doubt that they were acting in good faith, but we were too, right? We weren't trying to influence anybody's decision to either take the jab or not. We never have been, right? All we want you to do is have all of the information. And so when that has been actively prevented, right, in fact, causing vitriol for even asking the questions, this is a problem that Silicon Valley needs to reconcile and say, Maybe we got too far. We went too far th down the looking glass of yeah. policing content. The whole the reason we named this show Redacted is because we were covering stories about this about COVID and the vaccine, and because specifically these companies and the documents we were looking at when we were coming up with the name for the show last year, it struck like the documents we were going through were all redacted, blacked out, redacted, redacted, redacted. Um, so they're you know hiding this information from you. And then when it gets released, we cover it, and then we got banned for covering it, um, reading right from their documents. So anyway, huge update. If you're just joining us, YouTube has reversed its decision. Um, their new guidelines for COVID can be found on their website. You can read through them. It's amazing sort of reversal of their position on what you can say, what you can't say. We're going to have more about this, and I know Tim Poole's been covering it, and some others are, are looking into it as well. So we'll have more on that. But hey, we've got a jam-packed show for you. We wanted to talk about that breaking news at the top. We're going to talk about Vladimir Putin. We're going to talk about why Europe specifically is so... Europe and the United States are so scared of Putin. It's actually really interesting story. We're going to dive into that this afternoon. We're also going to look at uh, Trump with DOJ, right? Right. So a memo has been released around the Mueller investigation that the D Department of Justice fought to be released. It was released, and we're going to look further into whether the investigations into President Trump are indeed political. It's a very tricky question. And Democrats now going on the offensive against Donald Trump regarding vaccines. Like this is, it's, it's amazing timing, isn't it? That we have this new House report on vaccines going after Trump 
on the same day that suddenly we have these new rule reversals on Google's platform on YouTube. Like, hmm, timing is amazing with some of this stuff. I, I don't know. I'm not for coincidences, but, you know, hey, call me crazy on that. Uh, we're going to talk about that. And Dr. Fauci said, lockdowns were fine. You were not hurt. Get over it. We're yeah. going to take that to task a little bit. As you can imagine, we have some words yeah about that we do so please subscribe we're almost at a million subscribers so we really appreciate that and uh, i would like to say it's very important i saw a helpful tip video earlier today about how youtube's notifications actually work when we go live we go live monday through thursday at 4 p.m eastern time you have to hover over the bell okay turn on the bell notification and then you have to click on always so that you're notified when we go live and then in your notification settings inside your youtube app you need to allow the notifications to come through. So it's like a two-step process. I know it's kind of crazy because a lot of people write to me. They're like, Clayton, I've signed up. I don't get the notifications. What's going on? That's what you have to do. And then when you, you actually- You were watching the Mojo YouTube channel, weren't you? Uh, no, wasn't. No? But, oh, because um, they um, show that little tick thing on the mobile app that you have oh, to tick. Yeah, so you got to tick that thing. You got to make sure you click that thing. Um, and then also when you get the notification on your device, you got to click the notification and go to the live event. So anyway, just a little public service announcement. YouTube does not make it easy. <laughs> so Also, you know, we're here every day, 4 p.m. Eastern. Yeah. So you also can calendar yourself. And it is not a conspiracy. They do unsubscribe people every month. So if you look down and the subscribe button is red, click it again, even though you think you're subscribed. Yeah. And Yvonne Simonis talks about how some of these technical problems we seem to have um, are common to other like contented youtubers and yeah jimmy dore has been having all sorts of problems lately they even brought in like a specialist because they're like we don't know what's happening so we've been having this issue um so uh, you know i don't know internet related is somebody... i mean there's don't look as good but you know that's, yeah i might be we have the best we have the best looking news show on on youtube so i know what you're gonna do um and we have the best looking co-host um, with brains not just beautiful, but very, very smart. Okay, let's get into it. Let's talk about Europe. Let's talk about America. Let's talk about Vladimir Putin. We're going to answer a very fundamental question tonight on the show, which is why is Europe and frankly, the United States terrified of Russian President Vladimir Putin? Hint, it's not actually about hypersonic missiles. Uh, it's not about his heavy weapons um, or his takeover of Ukraine. It's none of those things. No, it's none of those things. The answer actually might surprise you. Um, but first, some context on all of this. The, the fear of Putin was on full display yesterday. Um, you may have noticed that simultaneously, uh, Boris Johnson of the UK and President Biden of the United States announced a new front in the NATO war against Russia. Um, it was simultaneously a continued attack on the collapsing middle class across the world of both Europe and America. In the United States, the middle class is almost non-existent at this point, has been virtually decimated. Um, even though these politicians pay lip service to it, right? President Biden runs on the power of the middle class, and yet, you know, they're doing nothing to help the middle class at all. In Europe, it's declining rapidly, the middle class. Of course, if you listen to the New York Times, uh, it's all Spain's fault. Um, laughable, to be sure. Here's their headline. Europe's middle class is shrinking. Spain bears much of the pain. Okay, sure. Really, pick on the little guy. Pick on the guy who's really not driving any of the European policies right now, but that's, that's okay. 
Of course, Biden and Boris Johnson didn't frame it that way. They don't frame it that, hey, all of this money we're sending to Ukraine will ultimately destroy our way of life. They don't say that. Instead, they 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 don't even admit that it's going to you know destroy the middle class, um, upend the liberal world order. No, instead, they actually blame Vladimir Putin time and time again for this. It's Putin's fault, of course, that we need to send billions of dollars to Ukraine. It's it's his fault that we need to shell out all of these weapon systems. It's his fault that you need to go further into poverty and can't get food on your table and can't pay your electric bills. It's all Putin's fault, right? That's what they've been telling us. In fact, to remind us of this, Boris Johnson flew to Ukraine and again yesterday uh, made their position incredibly clear, the UK's position. It's Putin's fault that we have to suffer and make sure that you do not push for a peace settlement. Listen. We in the UK will not for one second give in to Putin's economic blackmail. We're paying in our energy bills for the evils of Vladimir Putin. The people of Ukraine are paying in their blood. That this is not the time to advance some flimsy plan for negotiation with someone who is simply not interested. You can't negotiate with a bear while it's eating your leg, and you can't negotiate with a street robber who has pinned you to the floor. Today, I can tell you that more artillery, uh, artillery, uh, more ammunition is on its way. Oh, okay, great. So more ammunition is on its way. More artillery is on its way. Do not, do not, under any circumstances, call for peace. Again, I'm here to remind you, don't call for peace. Remember, I visited about four months ago, me, Boris Johnson, to remind you not to have peace settlements. Don't do that. Do not do that. We're going to continue to send you more weapons, but we're standing strong. And the UK, the reason our energy prices are going up is because it's all Putin's fault. So almost at the same time Boris was speaking, these flags started showing up all over British social media, and now they've gone viral around the world. Here it reads, you'll be cold in the winter because they need it more. Although Twitter is marking these as harmful content. Yeah, so now it's harmful content. Yes. Purportedly showing these London billboards. Uh, they're probably fake photos, but it really doesn't matter if, if they're just mock-ups or if they are real, does it? Does it really matter at all? Because the message... Because the sentiment is absolutely what they're trying to... They're just saying, we're going to pay for it in gas, so you'll be a little colder. Yeah, they've you, gone viral right, because so they've struck okay. a nerve. They've struck a nerve. So it really doesn't matter if these are actual... London billboards or not. Specifically, Twitter is marking these flags that are going viral as manipulated media, okay. right? So, I mean, that's very confusing to someone who reads this. And What does that mean? Manipulated well, media. Well, the, the problem with some of these photos is that I cropped in because I didn't want to show what is clearly manipulated media on the far right side of the photo. You can seek these out on social media if you want, but they show people tied up to telephone poles wrapped around with tape, which is obviously happening all over uh, Ukraine. Uh, we don't need to go into details about that, but you know what, what, what's happening, right? We've shown you these videos in the past. And by the way, we've gotten demonetized for showing it to you. So the violence uh, in Ukraine. So these, and it shows them off to the side. So anyway, is that the part that's been added on and Photoshopped or is it the actual billboard? I don't know. It really doesn't matter. It's a distraction because the message is viral. It struck a nerve. It tells a fundamental truth that these Western governments believe, which is that we're going to hurt Putin by making it illegal for Americans and Europeans to buy Russian energy. That's what that's what the sentiment is.
for the Western world, it's going to be a massive moral victory for us, right? That's what they told us. That's what President Biden told us. We're going to feel great about ourselves morally, right? Don't you feel great about yourself because you're paying more for energy bills and your water bills and all of it? Don't you feel better about yourself because it's going to hurt Putin? That's the way they want you to feel about it. Even if it were a little bit yeah, colder. Let's go ahead. I, why is this going to say the whole time I'm pumping gas now, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Giving, it like, to, giving it to them. Yeah, Give Putin. it to them, yeah. Take yeah. more of my take money. That. Take that. My, take my pump. I'm even going to pull it out a little bit and pump a little bit more in, even though it tells me not to. Just to, just a little couple more drops. You're not supposed to do that. And then you smoke a cigarette and you throw the butt right down <laughs> in the gasoline. Yeah. You You're guys. Like, take that, Putin. Don't do that either. <laughs> don't do that. Uh, that's manipulated media. Yeah, so even we if it were a little bit colder advisors. this winter and we can't eat food, you need to feel better about yourself. At the same time, it will be a crushing defeat for Putin because they keep telling us that he deserves it, right? He's the one that deserves this. In France, the same thing. Emmanuel Macron yesterday told his citizens to get ready for a brutal winter. Here is Emmanuel Macron. Macron warns French sacrifices will be needed as tough winter looms. This but not for them, not for anybody in this room, right? No, I they bet, will I bet stay Emmanuel nice Macron... and warm and have all of their jus with just all like of we saw their in meat. Well, just like we saw in Sri Lanka, right? When they stormed the palace in Sri Lanka because of the corrupt government and the people said enough is enough is enough. We are not paying these high petrol costs anymore. Yeah. You are putting these crazy Russian sanctions that's leading to what we're dealing with here in Sri Lanka in part, not all of it, but corrupt corrupt government. They storm the palace. They get inside the palace where there's been record temperatures, super hot, right? They can't pay for air conditioning. They get inside the palace and it's super nice and chill and cool. Really nice. Yeah. Right. All kinds of foods that the, the, that the people of Sri Lanka don't have access to. So, you know, let, them, mean, eat, let them eat cake. It, yeah. In France, they've also had these famines before while yeah. royalty ate just fine. So Macron. Well, took can I say. Go ahead. I was just going to say really quick how, how bad his analogy is, though, because he said you, you can't negotiate with a robber who has you pinned to the ground. That's literally all you can do with the yeah, robber. I, I was thinking of the same thing the with a bear. Like if a bear has your leg. If you had some other, if you had bear spray or you had another piece of meat that you could toss to him, he'd leave yeah. you alone. Maybe. maybe I'm just saying, I don't right. know. So his or, analogy or, is like, they don't even make sense. Or a I thing don't of understand what you're saying about the bear either. So, or a thing of honey. Move on. From anyway, right, let me get back to Macron. <laughs> uh, but so Macron took it a step further and declared that we now have an end of abundance. Yes. He actually said this. We, we, we are now at an end of abundance and it's your moral obligation to embrace this end of abundance. What we are living through is a time of great upheaval, he said, and an end of abundance. Listen. What we are living through is a time of great upheaval. Firstly, because we are witnessing, and not just since this summer, but over the past few years, the end of what we might have seen as abundance. And for those who enjoyed it, it is also the end of a carefree time. Our freedom, the liberty to which we have grown accustomed to in our lives has a price, and sometimes when we have to defend it, we have to make certain sacrifices as we fight to defend it. That very well may be true, but then I don't want to see you in your Louis Vuitton suits, right? But don't even give them the benefit of that. If that's even that, true. That if it, it very well may be true. For who is the thing, right? You're making these decisions that will hurt poor, the poorest people first, will cost lives, 
Right. Again, as we talked about in yesterday's show, cold weather kills more people than hot weather. Right. So when winter is coming and you say, well, you, you just won't need to be as warm, that's for them, right? But the poorest amongst us will die from this. Alexander Linson in our chat says, animal farm all over again. Yes, right? Yeah, it is. You're, so you'll suffer uh, because Putin deserves it. And, you know, again, why? Why is no one asking and questioning? I mean, our show, we are questioning these leaders. But why is no one else standing up? And he just won well, a re-election, by the way. <laughs> we're to believe that he has that much power over the entire world. Right. 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 So Putin is to blame for all of it, right? He's to blame for your rising energy costs. He's to blame for the fact that you can't get food. Putin is to blame for your family's uh, inability to get health insurance. Uh, you're, uh, He's to blame that fitted sheets are not wide enough to fit king-size beds. <laughs> right. Oh, don't even get me started about linens yeah. in Europe. Putin is to I blame for the violence in Philadelphia. Putin is to blame for, you know, for me having a flat car tire like last week. He's to blame for it all. But I think that people are rightly so now saying, look, you are our politician. You were voted in to protect us. You are making decisions that are harming us. And it's time to stop that. And don't ask us to sacrifice when we've been through two and a half years of a pandemic. Yeah. And Fran France had some of the most draconian measures of who could even go to work and who could not, right? People lost their jobs for their refusal to take the vaccine. Uh, people lost their, uh, no, and you couldn't even go to France, right? There's just, now you want us to suffer some more? Yeah. And when again, it was the middle class that did just fine during the pandemic could work from home, could educate their children, could feed their children, right? So again, we're putting this next thing on the poorest and the weakest. So President Biden uh, said that you will need to suffer because Putin deserves it. Here's how President Biden says it. Today, I'm announcing the United States is targeting the main artery of Russia's economy. We're banning all imports of Russian oil and gas and energy. That means Russian oil will no longer be acceptable at U.S. ports, and the American people will deal another powerful blow to Putin's war machine. It's simply not true that my administration or policies are holding back domestic energy production. That's simply not true. So, of course, that's a lie. Two things emerge from that soundbite that I want to address. One is what great liars these politicians are, right? They're seasoned in it. Uh, here you have Biden telling us that his administration did not enact policies to curb domestic energy production, which is a bald, is it bald face lie or bold face lie? I think I it's bald face, right? I, I always bald said face. bold, but then, yeah, I, I always said bold. And, and then I somebody's think, like, oh, no, nope, yeah. it's bald. That's bald like, face. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's bald face lie. Yeah, it's bald. Bald. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so he did. He shut down immediately the Keystone XL pipeline, right? Mm -hmm. He immediately, uh, the, and then he also shut down all new energy leases and new permits on federal land, right? Yes. And, and then the other thing that we emerges that. from this soundbite is how unified Western leaders are in trying to use Putin as their scapegoat for their failed policies, which gets to the heart of what I want to address in this. After this speech, you had Republicans and Democrats praising him for his tough stand um, against Putin. Almost all of Europe applauded Biden's tough stance, the United States' tough stance against Putin. So we were going to boycott his oil and gas. European leaders in Belgium fell in love 
And they fell right in line with this and did the exact same thing. Here's Ursula von der Leyen. Later today, we will present a package of massive and targeted sanctions to European leaders for approval. With this package, we will target strategic sectors of the Russian economy by blocking their access to technologies and markets that are key for Russia. We have issued now five packages of sanctions. The sixth one is on the table, and these sanctions are hitting the Russian economy hard, and that's what they have to do. But you're also right. Um, when uh, this war, this uh, invasion started, uh, Europe was heavily dependent on Russian oil, gas, and coal. Hmm. Doesn't what? she look, by the way, doesn't she look like the, uh, the creepy woman from uh, the Hawkins Laboratory in Stranger Things or wherever she was from the first season? Um, she does look like that actress, yeah. but let's not call her creepy. Okay. But, yes. Uh, so what exactly did Western leaders do all of this at the same time? Why did the U.S. ban more drilling of fossil fuels? Why did Germany suddenly shut down its nuclear power plants? Why did the... Well, and why did we also sell sell uh, our emergency reserves to China. Yeah, why did we sell our, uh, yes, our oil stockpiles to, to China when it should have gone to the United States? Why did the Netherlands suddenly enact crazy nitrogen policies that against middle-class farmers that drove them out of business to, into revolt where they're dumping manure at the foot of government offices and buildings? By the way, the media is not even covering that story. Even Dutch newspapers are ignoring that story. But they're not giving up and they're still in revolt. Of course, the media is ignoring it because they're falling right in line with what the World Economic Forum wants them to do. This has been always a social, this is, the whole thing has been about social reorganization from the beginning. That started under COVID and when they shut down hundreds of thousands of small businesses and hundreds of thousands of the United States alone, uh, they gave more power to Walmart uh, and big corporations, took away your personal freedoms watched as you defaulted on bank loans so they could swoop in and buy up your land and your homes because they knew you couldn't afford it, and continuing under the auspices now of the war in Ukraine and Putin. So we've, we're continuing what we're doing under COVID under Putin. So Justin Trudeau in Canada has been watching all of this and actively participating in Canada's decline by doing the, the very same things. Now, I think Canada is an interesting case study in middle-class decline because of how quickly it's happened under Trudeau. You can actually trace it directly to Trudeau's government policies. Within weeks of taking office, here he was. Watch. Hi, everyone. Last October, we promised Canadians real change right away. We promised to deliver a tax cut for middle-class Canadians by asking the wealthiest to pay a little more. Within weeks of forming government, we did just that. It was the fair and right thing to do and the smart thing to do for Canada's economy. Oh, really? Taxes on the middle class actually went up. And if you read the studies on it, which I have, by eliminating a whole host of middle class tax benefits, it actually created higher personal taxes. So the middle class suffered as a result of these policies. And therefore, you exacerbated the decline of the middle class in Canada. The exact opposite of what he just said happened. And it shrunk the middle class. Sometimes it's hard to measure uh, these things, but not in Canada. I think Canada is a really interesting case study because it has arguably the best middle class, the wealthiest middle class in the world, or it did. As of the year 2010, Canada was named the country with the strongest and the wealthiest middle class. In fact, 
up until just a few years ago, most Canadians actively referred themselves, actively referred to themselves as middle class. In 2019, when compared to the United States, Canada's middle class had an average wealth of $106,000 compared to the U.S. at $61,000. Listen to that. Isn't that crazy? Yes. And Canada had a much lower percentage of people living in poverty, making less than $10,000 a year. In fact, way more Canadians lived making more than $100,000 a year. That was the norm. It was very rare to find someone who was making less than $10,000. Pretty great numbers a few years ago. But all of that started to change under Trudeau, who was following in line with these same policies that Europe and the United States have been following. Soaring housing costs, economic insecurity, contract work rather than full-time employment. Within just a few short years of Trudeau taking over, 47% of Canadians described themselves as middle class. That sounds still kind of high, but it's actually a huge drop because just a few years earlier, over 70% of Canadians considered themselves middle class. In just those few years, it went from 70% to 47% in Canada. Canada fell in line with these green energy policies being created by the World Economic Forum, cut domestic oil and gas production, Import more than 50% of your fuel from Russia. Like, what the hell? Really? Yeah. That way you'll hit government emissions goals, right? So you can, we all can feel good when we go to our World Economic Forum meetings with Klaus Schwab because, well, we, we've reduced our domestic production. We're just importing it all now. But good job, Canada. Good job, United States. Good job, Europe. You're doing the right thing but you're importing it all from Russia and China and other places where you need these rare earth minerals and commodities, but you don't have them anymore. So you look good in front of Klaus Schwab and your people will suffer because you're paying more for everything. Here's how Forbes described it. Look at this. U.S. Uh, Canada, not Russia, now leading U.S. importer of refined petroleum products. So Canada, which sits on a massive natural resource deposits, imports most of their gas from other countries makes zero sense, but okay. And then came COVID and Trudeau took things to the next level, seizing people's bank accounts and shuttering businesses and taking away all those personal freedoms on top of it. So, which brings me back to my original question. Why do Europe and President Biden fear Vladimir Putin? Again, it's not about the safety of the Ukrainian people. They don't care about the Ukrainian people at all. They don't care about that. If they did, they'd be pushing for peace right now. You saw what Boris Johnson did, which is the exact opposite of peace, pushing for more war, more people to die. But yesterday, Boris Johnson doubled down. He doubled down and said, do not push for peace. Now, the real reason they fear Vladimir Putin is because Putin controls the gas pump. And he is a mirror for their own failed energy policies. It's like looking in the mirror and realizing, oh my God, we screwed up. The next, I mean, the Great Reset has been a total failure. And Putin is like showing it right back in their faces that this has collapsed. When the West looks at Putin, they're terrified that his move into Ukraine exposed this greatest lie of all. The West, the, you know, the Western plan to crush the middle class has been exposed. They won't admit it, so it's easier just to blame Putin for it all. This is why the media isn't covering the story, the Dutch farmer re revolt, the collapse in Sri Lanka, and all of these other big stories, because what it does is it shows the emperor has no clothes. But it, it could be the failure of this whole that thing. without this conflict, 
right? They wouldn't have this scapegoat to say, oh, no, it's not our economic policies. It absolutely is Putin. That's why we're all feeling this way. So if, I mean, we can't observe both things, right? But if this hadn't happened, there would be some different type of scapegoat. So it's convenient, though, that the West has Putin right now because it feels like these economic forces would be happening either way. They might blame it on China. I mean, they're actively trying right, to do that as but well. We're saying, and, but there's no doubt that sanctions are having the boomerang effect on the West and hurting the West even further. But at least, so we sort of have to take it. The, the sanctions feel like it's like a Band-Aid on an amputee. Like, see, it's you're hurt because of this cut, not because you've actually lost a limb, right? right? And so we'll, we can point to that as why we're hurting when we probably would otherwise be hurting. But the, the, the line about how, well, we should all take it. We should all just say it's okay. We'll be a little cold this year, right? Um, although yeah, I, of- I have not been to Canada the deepest, coldest of winter, these places. But my sense of it is, because I'm afraid, um, is that you can't ask those people to be colder. Like to not be <laughs> go to Yellowknife. Uh, like I think Yellowknife is like the coldest spot in Canada in the world, right? I think Yellowknife or something like that. Um, yeah, you can't get colder than that. But you're asking people to pay way more for their fuel. Now you can't. We don't have access to gas, right? And so there's all these interesting carve outs for gas, right? So Germany, you know, uh, Canada concedes and gives back these these turbines to Germany. Germany's yeah. going to fire those back up again so they can keep you know, gas flowing um, from Gazprom and get those things back up and running. So there's all these hip- hypocritical carve outs to try to, you know, to, to, to continue to keep these fossil fuels going while at the same time trying to pretend like this green new energy deal that the World Economic Forum has been pushing is really working. Yeah. But last week we had the United States pass a $700 billion bill that will do nothing to reduce inflation. To or help climate. The, or climate. To help the American people order it, but instead it's a huge carve out and a boon to the corporate, the corporate lobbyists and the green lobbyists that are going to make billions off of this bullshit. Yes, which was why I was really interested in this story that we wrote this morning about Japan returning to nuclear power, because we've discussed this on the show many times that nuclear kills fewer people per unit of energy than any other energy that we've got right now. And plus Japan is saying, look, we need to be less dependent on foreign imports. We had this bad thing happen at the Fukushima plant over 10 years ago that was caused by an earthquake, but now the reactors have been constructed in a safer way. And we think we should research this again because we just can no longer be dependent on geopolitics. Um, I think that that is something, if every nation did, would really scare these hegemonic countries right now. Like pretty much all of the West, right? Right. I I do think it would also scare Russia. It would scare China, right? Because these places do depend on foreign exports. Um, I, you know. Well, China's building a number of nuclear power plants right now. And so is Russia. Yeah. Right. But uh, this is not necessarily to export. This is to keep their own lights on. Right. Yeah. And again, 60% of Russia's economy depends on their, uh, on commodities and selling commodities. So, you know, again, Europe knew this was coming. Europe had many, many years to plan for this. And so now the reason that they're so scared of Vladimir Putin is because it shines a, it shines a light. You know, it's almost like what the, the famous saying, like, hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what this is. Like, people who are... I'm pretty sure that's an Al-Anon saying, Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh, I don't know. But anyway, it's a, whatever... The, when people are hurting, 
the reason that they're lashing out at other people is because uh, they're hurting themselves, right? Yes. They're saying nasty things. So that's exactly what's happening here. Yeah. Um, please subscribe to the channel. We've got more news to get to here. We've got a lot more news to get to here on this uh, Thursday. Thank you so much for joining us. You guys are the best audience in all of uh, in all of broadcast television. Way better than all of those cable news networks. Sure. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about what's going on with the DOJ, a new document um, uh, from about pre President Trump. We're also going to look at the vaccine hypocrisy, Democrats attacking President Trump over this. Uh, it's all perfect and very eerie timing. Uh, we'll look at that. And Dr. Fauci just gave an interview. You won't believe what he had to say. We're going to dive into that. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Indeed, because your business is your dream. You want people who share it and have the skills to help it grow and find them faster with Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed is a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. You can find great talent faster through time-saving tools like their Indeed Instant Match assessments and virtual interviews. One of the things I love about Indeed is that when you, you don't have to like go hunt and peck through all of these different websites to find people right? It'll match it and save you tons of time because the right people are being brought to you. So you don't have to go out and hunt around everywhere. Uh, with Indeed, you can select for the skills that matter to you most. Add from a selection of over 100 hard and soft skills um, to test your job post and home in, this, in the candidates with the right skills faster. So now guess what? You can start hiring right now with a $75 job credit that's $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash redacted. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now by going to indeed.com slash redacted. Again, indeed.com slash redacted. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So thanks to all of you for subscribing. Again, we're nearing a million subscribers here on the little channel. We've been working on this channel for a number of years, trying to bring you the stories you won't see anywhere else. If you're new to the program, uh, my name is Clayton. That's Natalie. Um, uh, we've been longtime journalists. We spent uh, many, many years in the belly of the beast. I was a news anchor at Fox News Channel for about 10 years and 20 years overall uh, covering the news as a journalist around the country. Um, Natalie was a journalist in newspapers, a writer for many, many years, and then later at CBS News uh, on television as well, broadcast journalist. So now we're here and yeah. uh, we get to bring you the news that no one else, no one tells us what to say or what to cover. We get to cover the news that we think is important. Speaking of things you shouldn't say, I just got a text from someone whose kid was in a camp with our kid today and said, uh, your five-year-old knows the F word. So... <laughs> That was distracting <laughs> during our. Yes. And I was like, okay. Yes, our five-year-old. <laughs> our five-year-old knows the F word. She didn't say she said it. She told another kid she knows it. So, okay. which I did know she knew. Uh, so, uh oh, we're in trouble. Can I use your? Before we get it, so we're going to talk about President Trump, and for, I need to clean my glasses. You have to one do of that. I gave you one of those. So oh. For, for five-year-olds, that's like some. That's like some super spy level like words that she knows she's like right. that's like saying you know i got like i got the most top secret video on the planet she's like i know the f word i know the f word <laughs> like she didn't say she said it she just admitted to knowing it uh i know the f word too all right all right it's fun so we're gonna have a little fun here we go well, the Justice Department released a memo from the Mueller investigation that recommended that former President Trump not be prosecuted 
for obstruction of justice. Again, this is around the Mueller investigation. It has nothing to do with the raid on the president's home earlier this month. So they're now releasing this? Well, the Justice Department had been fighting releasing this. A watchdog group had filed a Freedom of Information Act Uh. three years ago to get their hands on it and a judge sided with them. So now we can all see it. So originally when I saw this, I thought, oh, are they releasing this to prove to us that they don't play politics, right? That maybe we could see into the Mueller investigation why they made certain decisions and then it would encourage us that what they're doing now around the president is not political. That's not the case. Um, So we are all going to sort of put aside whether we like President Trump or not and think about whether or not this was right, whether or not this is political or whether or not it leads us to a constitutional crisis, right? I know that's hard to do. And whenever I sort of make room for the Justice Department, like maybe this is fair, let's just see. I see your comments saying she's so naive and it makes me laugh because I want to just sort of like give it some space while also acknowledging this is dangerous, right? Um, So, okay, I've said those disclaimers. So this report, in question comes from the attorney general's office. It was their summation of the Mueller report and recommendation to then attorney general Barr that the president not be further investigated or charged based on their read of the Mueller report. The details are all legalese, but it does give a window into how these work, right? Is this political or not? Was the Mueller investigation political or not? And it After reading it, it's not a simple answer at all. The Mueller teams, there were three teams inside the Mueller investigation, they all disagreed on the legality of President Trump's behavior at the time, but their recommendations not to charge the president revolved around his position and his opportunity to defend himself. So in the book, Where Law Ends, one of the lead investigators, Andrew Wiseman, he wrote that we had prepared a summary of our findings highlighting key conclusions and evidence in both volumes of the report. When Barr announced he would be issuing something publicly shortly after receiving our report, I assumed it would be these summaries. Now, again, Wiseman was one of the lead investigators, so he wrote about the whole investigation in his book. And the main conclusion, right, that Bob Mueller came to was that the president could not get a fair trial. I'm going to rely heavily on this book for this discussion uh, because... Wait, wait, underscore that again. So the, the, the summation from Mueller was that he felt that President Trump would not get a fair trial. That, so because the, inside his team, they all were really tossing around what he... This may be, have been an illegal thing. This may be, have been an illegal thing. But the president could not get his day in court. He could not get a fair jury. He could not get a fair judge, given that he appointed judges, right? And they felt like he, they felt like they had to be super careful because they, whatever they charged him with, it would have to be provable without a shadow of doubt. Um, And he would have to be tried by a jury of his peers, which you cannot get for a president. And because his very existence is political, right? So this was the main reason that Bob Mueller really did not want to make charges, even though the investigators inside his team thought that certain behaviors might be indicative, that a jury might find those things criminal, but they they just felt like they could not. So again, this brings the question, if a current president 
could not have his fair day in court, could a former president have his fair day in court? Yeah, what changes? Like, what's different then? I'm leaning towards that he couldn't, right? Even though, like, I want to maintain that every American should be subject to the rule of law, it does not, this is, this, his existence is, is basically a constitutional crisis. Have you ever done jury duty? No. I did. And I was on a high profile murder case in uh-huh. Florida when I lived in, when I lived in Florida. And uh, at the time I worked in television and the, the jury selection process took all day and they really wanted for, first of all, they wanted to know that you could be fair and they really wanted to make sure that you didn't know anything about this story. That this story, this case at all, like yeah. that this guy allegedly, you know, hurt this woman, killed this woman. Um, and all like you really, do you read the newspaper? Do you understand? So how in the world are you going to find a fair jury for President Trump? That, that doesn't, which is something that we need to ask ourselves now, depending on what's happening around the raid on his home, right? Right. So the report that we're looking at, written by the Deputy Attorney General for Attorney General Barr, was written on March 24th, 2019, okay? This is the report, which strikes me as odd because as Weissman says in his book, the report, the Mueller report was only submitted to the Justice Department two days before that. And the Mueller report was 448 pages, submitted on a Friday, and it included 22 months of investigative work. So how could the Justice Department write a summary of 448 pages in two days to release to the public? March 24th is on a Sunday. That's the day of this memo. Yeah, and included 22 months of work. Yeah. There's no way. Like, I used to wait until the last minute to do, like, a 15-page essay in college. Right. And there's no way I could get it done. Even with the full full weight of the Justice Department, right? How, How could they have read it in that amount of time and summarized it and further came up with these conclusions, right? So that is troubling. It should be troubling to all of us because we all paid for the Mueller investigation with our taxes. So we should want for it to have landed in a legitimate way, right? Right. Um, That same day, then the nine page memo is given, submitted to Barr. Then Barr turns around and releases a four page summary to the media, his own report. This turnaround time is extremely troubling right and the screen that i just showed you that um the Mueller team had prepared sort of a summary that they thought that they could present uh they just that's but that's not what was released to the memo and that's not what was in this uh, uh, to the press and that's not what was in this memo instead we're just we just have this nine page summary of it right so in this document in this nine page summary that we just got to see today uh the Justice Department is recommending no charges. And so the watchdog group is interested in whether or not this memo is consistent with the 448-page actual Mueller report, or did the Justice Department sort of massage it, draw their own conclusions because they were loyal to Trump, right? Um, But the memo, it doesn't, this memo that we're looking at, it doesn't necessarily read like politics. It does mirror the sentiment that Mueller had, for instance, that the president could not get a fair trial 
on these issues. This is what the memo says. The special counsel concluded it would be unfair to reach any charging decisions because the president would not then be afforded any opportunity to clear his name before an impartial adjudicator. Adjudicator. Adjudicator, which still seems true. Right, which right. may still be true. This is the troubling part, right? Either it's a constitutional crisis because there's somebody who is above the law, or maybe it's a constitutional strengthener because it means that we care so much about a fair trial that we can't charge someone without it, right? So you be the you be the judge of that. Um, one thing that constantly frustrated the Mueller investigators was that Trump seemed to be sort of, I don't wanna use the word bribing, like, um, motivating witnesses with the potential of pardons at every turn. So when they would get an eye on someone, every time Wiseman talks about they got an eye on investigating someone, Trump would either say on Twitter or in the press that he had the opportunity to pardon so-and-so person. or And this seemed to be a way that he was using the executive office to prevent people from testifying. Um, and then when the, t the investigation seemed to be heating up, he would threaten to shut it down on Twitter very often. So they were always kind of rushing, like, we might be shut down tomorrow. So, you know. Well, that's that was his strategy to, like, stop a witch hunt, right? I mean, like, right. these people are coming after me. So what do I do? What, what do I, I have the power of the bully pulpit, which is the podium. I have the White House. What can I do to, like, stop this? If I think it's a witch hunt, I'm going to use, I'm going to use it. Right. Right. But they... So they saw it as possible obstruction. Right. The memo says, well, he was acting publicly. And so that's not necessarily obstruction, right? Weissman says that the facts that, that around the investigation of, instruction of obstruction of justice, he says this, the facts were no less appalling, although we had not indicted the president or frustratingly even taken the final leap of putting a label on what the facts added up to, Instead, our report set out numerous episodes that provided clear evidence against the president. This is what he thinks. So why then? Why did they not make any charges of anything? Well, he says, he says, we were forbidden from indicting him for these crimes as we were employees of the Department of Justice and bound to follow an internal department policy that no president could be indicted while in office, whether we agreed with that or not. So again, the Mueller team you know, they went rounds and rounds, but it was ultimately Bob Mueller's call that we cannot, he won't get his fair day in court. And so they allowed, they uh, they uh, were never allowed to indict and they chose never to push this. They thought maybe they could get con uh, Supreme Court ruling on it or, or something, but they just, they did not make any suggestions. They sort of laid out what they thought was evidence that, of what Weissman thinks is crimes. Now I'm gonna say, I do think Weissman, um, he has, he's motivated in one way. He really felt like the president should have been answerable to the rule of law. Um, Barr obviously was loyal to Trump. So these are two different sides, right? My, again, my problem is that this call for this memo was made in just two days. And I don't know, I really think there's room for interpretation on what everyone did here. And I do think Bob Mueller was right to be extremely careful about the president not getting his fair trial, right? But it, but for the rest of us, it's extremely disturbing because that still is true. Right. So, and any future prosecution would have to go through that that lens of whether or not he would get a fair trial. Yeah. 
yeah, it's really. So now, can I, I mean, if I, if I can just like, because I'm trying to wrap my head around this, because I, I, I just like the, uh, one of the things I like focus on in life when I'm looking through news and stuff like that is, is sort of like how unbalanced judiciary is entirely. So yeah. if you take that analogy that they can't get a fair trial, that should then uh, exonerate Johnny Depp. He could go out and shoot 20 people, but because he just recently had a famous trial, there's going to be people that have a bias towards him one way or the other already. And therefore, because people would know who he was and know that there was a bias, that he could not be tried for anything. I mean, that, that basically, like, if you yeah. are known and, and divisive, you are free to commit whatever crime you want. That's what I'm hearing out of that. I mean, am I missing something in it or is it, am um, I getting that? I mean, if then that, that's, that's the new precedent that well clearly there social was media law that said a president could not be indicted or policy at the time right so at the, at the very least right. that that um but you're right about that that then this will this will make special laws for everybody right because everybody ha could be considered or, or everybody famous right um I think there are, there there are, there's more to it than just the fact that Trump is too divisive, um, but that is certainly part of it. Um, and and he is no he is no longer a president, so he is, um, yeah, a civilian, right? So should he be? I I don't I know. know. I th I find this extremely tricky, and I don't think that I think you know when I saw it, I thought oh, this will give us a clue into how political the Justice Department works, and I'm I'm still very uh, divided on it so is our audience yeah what is yeah. the general sentiment uh some people just say they can't follow it it's complicated it's crazy and uh, it was a witch hunt um and others are saying Mueller did a bad job i'm just seeing other people let, let us know in the chat like what do you guys think about this um do you think that the president they could of the get United jurors from the border do you guys think the president of the united <laughs> states could get uh a fair shake in a trial yeah um let us know I don't know. The, the Wiseman book reads very interesting because he feels convicted the whole time that the president is doing wrong. And he has a lot that he is able to share. And I think it's interesting that the Justice Department even allowed him to publish this book. It ran through, you know, all the channels. Um, he lays out all of this, all of this evidence that, you know, is hard to refute. And then in the end, and he feels like Mueller made the wrong call. I, I think that that's what he's trying to say. Um, it is an interesting read. I don't know if you'd like to read it or not, if I suggest it, but I did read it. So. I don't think I would. No. Okay, don't read it. Don't. No. I, I just summarized it for yeah, you. Yeah, thank you on that. All right. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about, we've got more news to get to here on the show. We're going to talk about uh, the Democrats attack going after President Trump on vaccines. So that's an interesting move from the House of Representatives yesterday. Um, really, really interesting story. We're going to look at Dr. Fauci's latest interview. You're not going to believe what he had to say. And we're going to look at Serbia just went to Moscow, uh, an envoy from Serbia. And what they said about the European Union is eye opening. So we will get to all of that and more. But first. Oh, OK. First, we'll tell you about our friends over at HelloFresh. Now, with HelloFresh, you can get farm fresh, pre-proportioned ingredients and seasonal recipes, recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one 
meal kit. Now, HelloFresh comes with seasonal ingredients with exciting recipes that are pretty much idiot proof. In fact, my kids like to follow along with, with me and because the pictures make it so enticing. And sometimes you see those pictures and you're like, mine's not gonna look like that. But honestly, if you follow along, they do your pictures your meals come out just as beautifully as these images you're seeing right now and of course who wouldn't want to skip a trip to the grocery store and spend more time soaking up that last of the summer sun HelloFresh Market is a one-stop shop for all your mealtime needs with a curated selection of quick breakfasts lunches snacks desserts and more or you can Gear up for that busy fall season with 55 or more weekly options and take the stress out of meal planning and prepping. Oh my gosh, I was just thinking about how my kids go back on September 1st and I'm like, no, because I'm going to have to start packing those lunches and then getting ready for dinner and all of that happens in one mad rush before the 7.30 bus pickup. So, you know, you can make it easier on yourself by having a meal plan and having most of your shopping done. Plus, they have quick and easy recipes and 20-minute meals with low prep, low cleanup options to provide an even faster route to putting food on the table around your packed schedule. I saw funny meme recently that said when kids go back to school it's like all right everybody's got practice so we either eat at 4 p.m or 10 p.m right so uh you know if you want to take the sort of guesswork out of all of that so right now uh where is our it's right there there it is okay you can get 16 free meals across seven boxes and free gifts three of them if you go to hellofresh.com slash redacted 16. Again, that's 16 free meals across seven boxes and three free gifts. It's hellofresh.com slash redacted 16. We want to thank everyone for subscribing to the channel and smashing that like button. When you do, it takes just a second, but it pushes us further out into the algorithm and it helps us reach more people so that they can see the stories that we cover here on the show because mainstream media controls the narrative, so we try to cover the stories the mainstream media doesn't. Well, let's talk about President Trump and let's talk about what Democrats are doing. So Democrats right now are taking a play, taking a play from Alex's Alex Jones's playbook. That's hard to say. Um, so Alex, because it's unbelievable. I know, really, but it really is. <laughs> if you dive into it, Democrats are looking at what Alex Jones is saying about President Trump and they're pulling a Trump card. So a few months ago and once again, just a few weeks ago, Alex Jones warned Trump that he better denounce the COVID vaccines before the Democrats started blaming him for it. Now, there's a joke running around that, oh my God, Alex Jones predicted it again. He got it right again, right? So once again, people called Jones a conspiracy theorist. Like Democrats are not gonna slam President Trump for this, for vaccines. Like they love vaccines. They are all about it, right? That's their thing. That's their thing. They loved lockdowns. They loved mandates. They loved all of those things. They did. Um, so, and they love telling you to love it too, and right. calling you selfish if you don't. So they labeled, you know. I remember uh, them saying, "We got, we got it in this many arms," and they're just like so proud of it. Exactly. Um, so they, you know, they absolutely loved the fact that uh, these vaccines were out there and available. And Jones, you know, jo- people labeled Jones a conspiracy theorist. Um, but you know, guess what? We don't label him that here. We don't label him like that on our show. Um, And so Democrats then now over the past few days, the House of Representatives led by Democrats just released a brand new report attacking Donald Trump for pressuring the FDA to authorize unproven treatments for COVID-19. You can't even make this up. 
and they approve the first COVID-19 vaccine before election without collecting enough safety data, Democrats say. The complaint alleges that Trump's staffers strongly urged health officials like the former FDA commissioner, Stephen Hahn, to authorize the jabs as well as under uh, other unproven COVID treatments in a hurried manner. Next, the report goes on to say that Team Trump strong-armed the FDA to deliver misleadingly positive news about convalescent plasma as a coronavirus treatment on the eve of the 2020 Republican National Convention. And more, I mean, it's more detailed. We'll go through some of the other chunks of this. But finally, the House subcommittee claims that Trump blocked FDA from issuing guidance on coronavirus vaccine authorizations for weeks in an attempt to ensure that the first vaccine could be authorized before the 2020 presidential election. And we know that Trump had expressed, you know, enormous desire to have these vaccines be approved as quickly as they could. Yes, right? he also wanted antiviral treatments to be approved as well, and that was shut down. So according to Politico, White House officials said they would not sign off on emergency use authorization language that required a 60-day safety follow-up for late-stage clinical trials. Ultimately, the FDA went ahead with the 60-day follow-up plan without an explicit blessing from the White House, though the White House later cleared it. So that was like a, that was shoved in there, that 60-day. They wanted it out of there. They didn't want any follow-up to see about any adverse effects or any other issues. So they pulled that out of there. Wait, wait, wait. I got to think this through. All right. Well, you think that through. So the White House did not want to require 60-day safety follow-ups. But the FDA really wanted it then. Okay. And then when we justify, just oppose that with the news this week that the FDA is willing to approve a Pfizer Omicron vaccine with no clinical trials. Right. They don't have Trump pressuring them. Why do they need to? They can make their own decisions now, apparently. It would yep, be a, yeah, exactly. They're the FDA. Like, why would they cave to the pressure of a president anyway? That's not their job. It's wouldn't like, that be great if people influence. would ask? ask the White House press secretary about these questions? Like, why are Democrats issuing a report slamming President Trump for trying to get vaccines to market as quickly as possible, bypassing certain safety protocols and rushing these things to market? But now the FDA is even do, going 10 steps further. And saying no clinical trials are necessary. So they really felt strongly about it under President Trump, but they don't under President Biden. Apparently not. But Democrats are going to use this now. My theory, of course, is now they're going to use it as a cudgel in the election. And Alex Jones was right about this. So and about a week and a half ago, Alex Jones came out saying he was he was giving up on Trump. And he's like, look, I'm giving you one last chance to throw my support behind you, because unless you come out and denounce these vaccines, uh, you're not going to get our support. Like we now know all of, you know, we now know all of the negative effects of this and you're still pushing this. So here was President Trump. Remember, this was a big moment where he got booed and uh, it did not go over too well. He came out because I think he had a lot of birdies in his ear. Like this is an interesting moment for Trump, right? He, he This was his first big rally in Alabama. And so he has all these birdies in his ear like, hey, uh, what we're, what Fauci and others are telling us is that this is saving all kinds of lives. So 
you were pushing for this really hard. You were telling everyone you were pushing for this. You were pushing for this. Then you go out on the podium and you should take credit for it. You should take credit for it. And then, of course, then we started seeing all of the adverse effects and all the problems. And so many people saying, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. And he goes out in Alabama and this happened. Watch. In your freedoms, I do. You got to do what you have to do. But I recommend take the vaccines. I did it. It's good. Take the vaccines. But you got, no, that's okay. That's all right. You got your freedoms. But I happen to take the vaccine. If it doesn't work, you'll be the first to know. But uh, you do have your freedoms. You have to keep, you have to maintain that. You have to maintain that. And you got to get your kids back to school. That was funny because they're like will, ready to applaud whatever he says next. Like, yeah. Oh, no, we don't. We're not for that. <laughs> right. Wait, did he just say that? No, we're not. We're not. And then he gets the booze and you can see him switch course there. He's like, oh, but but you got your freedoms. You got it. You know, personal freedoms. I got that. And he's like, I got it. I got it. I got it. And then he doubled down on it. So after that backlash, then he went on the uh, right. Uh, I think it was the right network. I forget the name of the exact network. And he did a radio call in. And he was asked specifically about it once again. And instead of like going back on it, he was, I guess, getting advice from someone, I don't know, to go double down on it. And this is when Alex Jones lost it and said, Democrats are going to use this against you. Watch this moment. Mandates are bad. And I say it strongly. I'm very proud of the vaccines. We got it done, as you know, Brian. We got it done very rapidly. In less than nine months, it was supposed to take five to 12 years and they wouldn't come up. Most likely wouldn't have come up with the right answer. And we have uh, three of them, great ones and great therapeutics. We got a lot of it done, but the mandates are horrible. Yeah. Mm. So doubling down on it. But again, the, the White House exerted pressure on the FDA for these emergency youth authorizations. And the Democrats are now going to use this. It's like you're seeing this. I mean, I, we're in the middle of a bizarro world. Because if you watch the top of our show tonight, we brought you the breaking news about YouTube. And YouTube today change their guidelines on what you're allowed to say about COVID on its platform. And what was once would get you banned a few months ago for saying certain things. Now, if you say the opposite, you're fine. And you'll get banned for saying what we, um, what you couldn't say before. Yeah. I mean, I, what, I got it reversed. But this is very disingenuous argument because... No one forced Democrats to take the vaccine and run with it as their official party platform, right? So, okay, if that was the case, that we know that Trump did absolutely want the vaccine out before election and that he wanted credit for it when he was outgoing. These things are provable. He said so, right? But then Democrats adopted it as, and we even saw recently the, the Biden White House came out and said, we are the ones who got everyone vaccinated, right? And, and then they, they had a and tweet. they had to walk that back. They had say, a tweet up for like three, two weeks that was factually inaccurate where it said we got the vaccine to the American people and saved lives. Right, like which that's is what it not said. true, right? right? But so they want to take the credit for it until they don't, right? right? And so I and think so you're seeing Trump this. was out of office just weeks after the vaccine started to roll out. So if they really felt like this was a misstep on Trump, then they wouldn't have been pressuring everybody to take it and shaming those who didn't. Yeah. It's amazing that this subcommittee's findings, I, I really, I, I'm like, so it was again led by House Mind Majority Whip Jim Clyburn of South Carolina. Um, and he said, quote, 
Uh, the subcommittee's findings that the Trump White House officials deliberately and repeatedly sought to bend FDA's scientific work on coronavirus treatments and vaccines to the White House's political will are yet another example of how the prior administration prioritized politics over public health. Which has... What? Okay. It's exactly Which has what happened you're doing. throughout the entire Democratic rule. So just think about this for a second. Biden, because I, I, I can't, you know, I want, always want to cut through the hypocrisy of these people. You remember President Biden on the campaign trail when he was asked if he would take a Trump vaccine, mm-hmm. said, no way. Remember he said that? I thought I it said, was Kamala Harris that said. No, no, he said it. Okay. President Biden. Oh, then, they all said it. Kamala said it. He said it. Several people said it. Yeah. Then candidate Biden said, I would not take it. No way. Not if. Because the, his reason was that it was, why would you take something that was that rushed mm-hmm. and was basically done by this guy, meaning Trump, right? Like that rushed and this guy, and then they want to take they want to take credit for it later, and now they want to blame Trump for it. Like this is amazing, and again, I come back to the point that Dr. Peter McCullough and all of these other doctors have made about clinical trials is. You can't have any accurate data for at least a minimum of two years of clinical trials, right? I think that's the minimum. Yeah. Or maybe even more than that. And that as Trump even talked about, they're telling us, oh, it could take six, seven, eight, even eight years before we get this vaccine. There's no way on my watch that's going to happen. We're going to we're going to get it done as quickly right. as possible. Yeah. So, I mean, it was all political malpractice. Like sure. we knew that this was, and now we're entering this new era now with the FDA where you don't have to have any clinical trials. <laughs> like they're just going to rush them out. No. Not necessary. So we refer you to the video we did earlier this week about the Omicron vaccine and um, how the FDA is just absolutely not requiring clinical trials. And they feel like the animals that they tested it on is okay. I I just think more largely Democrats are seeing the writing on the wall. They're seeing that and, you know, you're seeing YouTube, you're seeing all these people now backtracking on vaccines and uh, the COVID vaccines. You're seeing masking, you're seeing the, the, the about face on masking and all of this stuff. And I feel like as someone said in our chat last night, they're, they're preparing, like they're preparing for like Nuremberg two trials. Mm. Like we're entering an era now where this is going to be like we're going to this is the great maybe perhaps one of the greatest lies ever told. And these people are trying to be on the right side of it. Which makes you wonder, all of these wars that are being provoked around the world would be a great distraction, right? We wouldn't have to do this if we had a big global conflict. Then it's like, oh, COVID, it's in our rearview mirror. Don't ask us questions. Yeah. So we should talk about this next story. Let's talk about Dr. Fauci. Okay. So Dr. Fauci just came out with a really unbelievable interview. Um, can you Actually, before we do that, can you turn on my stream deck, guys? Um, I need to be able to pause this video a little bit here, but um, we'll do that in a second. But first, let me know where you guys are joining us from. Um, Let us know in the chat uh, what part of the world you're finding us today. Also, while you're doing that, can I just ask a naive question? What do you mean by the salt in the comments? I'm sorry, I Googled it and I couldn't figure it out. So when you're putting that in the comment, I'm sorry if that sounds super naive. Yeah, what is the salt shaker I'm not with it. I don't know. I'm not cool. Cyprus, Tokyo, Moscow, Australia, Mo- Montreal, Texas, Phoenix, Germany, New Zealand, Iceland. Bangkok, I've always wanted to go Croatia. to Iceland. I want to go to Iceland. Two from Croatia, Spain. Ireland. Good. Welcome, welcome, UK. welcome. Does anyone know what this salt shaker means? Come here. Salty. Do you have, Do you have something? It's just like fuzzy. Okay, just a, a little. Fuzzy? I think it was With a my beard. drop of Salty water or like something. 
like being all like salty, kind of angry, salty, like yeah, bitter. okay. That means that we're being salty, or you're being salty to us, or we're all salty together. Yeah, I'm just wondering if salty. that's what you mean by that. Right. I mean, I'm salty. Do, so, but when I'm, someone I'm puts that in the chart, <laughs> in the chat, does it mean that we are making a salty point, or they're salty at us? I don't know. Uh, yeah, my my guess would be, and I would just be guessing, but my guess would be that the Democrats are salty about the vaccine would be my interpretation of it, but I don't okay. know. Someone said it's it's because they're pissed about what we're saying. Salty. Like, not mad at us, but mad at the, like, that this, like, collectively mad. Salt, okay. Somebody's saying right. salty crackers. Okay. Salty, All right. Salty cracker. All right. Okay. Crackers, salty. All right. Okay. Are right, you streamed back up? Yeah, it's good now. Thank you. Um, cool. Just, normally it's on, but not today. Um, okay, so let's talk about Dr. Fauci. So, you know, he's doing the rounds right now because he is uh, resigning in December, resigning. Like, you know, I'm going to spend more time with my family. I'm resigning or being kicked out finally. Uh, and so he's doing the rounds. He's done a, He's done an interview with uh, Neil Cavuto over on Fox, my old... Uh, Stomping grounds. My old stomping grounds. My old Neil was always uh, very, very kind to me. Uh, nice guy. Super nice guy. Uh, his office was down the hall from mine. And he uh, had some really interesting questions for Dr. Fauci uh, as he looks at COVID. So I want to play this interview because there were a number of stunning moments in this interview that I want to talk about. So go ahead and hear. Take, take it away. Um, you know, you had said a number of times, doctor, on this show as well, that... Uh, your response to COVID might not have been perfect, but it was in the times and the fast moments in which you lived and, and were making those decisions. So looking back at some of those decisions, including masks, you were first opposed to them, then you embraced them, uh, the severity of, of the epidemic itself and completely shutting down uh, virtually the entire American economy. Do you regret particularly the last one, the shutdown, the sweeping shutdown that some yeah. said made things worse. No, I, I, I don't, uh, Neil. And in fact, I think we need to make sure that your listeners understand I didn't shut down anything. There was a lot of consideration among the White House task force that we were reaching a point where the hospitals, such as in New York City and other places, were being strained to the point of practically being overwhelmed. And when Dr. Birx and I came with the proposal that we take 15 days to essentially get to the point where we slow, if not shut some things down, not completely. So you're full of shit because you were pushing President Trump and he didn't want to do that to shut them down. And so we know from the evidence, we know from the data, we know from Dr. Peter McCullough and all sorts of experts on this, that the shutting down, the lockdowns, the forced enclosure of people into closed up spaces led to the intense uh, high level of hospitalizations. The lockdowns led to the hospitalizations overwhelmed hospitals as a result of shoving people into homes with no ventilation, they couldn't go outside, all of it made it way worse. When they get to the incubation, the, uh, the intubators, when they have to go on oxygen, it's game over. When you get to that level, as Dr. Peter McCullough said right here on our show, and you should go watch our full interview with him on Rumble, that was, it was far too late. You wanted to, you wanted to stop it before then, 
And of course, we knew that the lockdowns led to this. And the record will show, Neil, that we didn't recommend shutting everything down. We wanted to cause a pause to remember the terminology to flatten the curve. But in retrospect, and Doctor, we did do you regret we... that it went too far? Whatever your original intentions were, and it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback here, but that it went too far, that particularly for kids uh, who, who couldn't go to school except remotely, that it's forever damaged right. them. Well, I don't think it's forever irreparably damaged anyone, but I think obviously, and you, if you go back... Oh, no. So that's the moment, right? That this didn't irreparably damage anyone. Okay. I mean, I'm going to let you comment on that because your dad died alone. Like, in a, you know, like, I'm sorry to have put it that way, but it's like, that's the thing that, like, we couldn't get to... Clayton's dad when he had a stroke because the hospital was shut down and we weren't allowed to go and see him. And my mother-in-law still bursts into tears when she was like, if I'm dying and nobody I love is around me, did he even understand, right? She has to live with us. That That's irreparable. That's just one example of thousands, billions, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact that yeah, so it, what is irreparable, right? That my father was in the hospital and I couldn't go see him because of some stupid-ass COVID rule where they're worried about me bringing COVID to you and then yet he gets to the hospital, hasn't had COVID yet, and then after he's there at, because of the stroke, he gets COVID in the hospital. Yeah. And then I can't go see him. I, and then my family has to look out a window and like try to see if they can see him through a window. And then he dies. In the snow. And then he dies. Like, like he never had, for six weeks in the hospital, never had a single person could visit him as he was dying, right? They would hold up a FaceTime. Oh, you want to do FaceTime? And he, you could like see him deteriorating. We like, faxed you know. drawings from the kids. Yeah, the kids were like, we how, do we, how, do we connect, how do we connect with Pop Pop? You know, like how do we, uh, we'll draw something and then send it, fax it to the nurse's station and they'll print it out and put it in his room. As so, if he even understood what was going on. I right? mean, these are irreparable things. These children didn't get to say goodbye to their grandfather, right? So this is just one, like one example that, yeah. that's still like, it's well, my, hard. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, to say my, my grandmother, um, she, she had a medical procedure. Uh, she had like actually choked a, a bit on a chicken bone, had to have it removed. This was in November of 2020. And, uh, she was in the hospital for about three weeks. She got COVID after and she died the same situation. Nobody could go in. Uh, she, they, like, she was like starting to suffer from dementia and just nobody, you, like, I couldn't even call her. Like I, mm -hmm. I tried a couple of times, but it's just like, this is that, yeah, that's irreparable harm. I agree. hundred percent. Yeah, and, and it yeah. might not be in the same way that, that Neil Cavuto was just referring to or you know, talking about, which is the kids, right? He was specifically talking about the kids. And so let's talk about that. We now know that there's been absolutely irreparable harm. A number of major studies have come out, one in the UK that just came out about the irreparable harm to children um, as a result of wearing masks and lockdowns. There's a new study that actually shows that, um, where is, I'm going to pull this study up in a second here. This is a study in Britain found that uh, six, yeah, found that many children were unable to say, to say their own name due to the impact of the lockdown. A new study said to be published later this week has found that thanks to social isolation caused by lockdown, many children entering elementary school are unable to even say their own name. 
The report linked to the UK broadsheet The Times is set to reveal that the developmental problems are widespread among young children in Britain with the study set to blame pandemic conditions and lack of parental education for the shortfalls. The study outlines how infants' verbal communication skills have been severely hindered by lockdowns, problems undoubtedly exacerbated by adults wearing face masks. We've got children who are still drinking from bottles with teats on them when they start school, said one UK headmaster. Think about that. Yeah. Two, two years. There are four-year-olds and their language will include the world bot-bot because that's their communication for can I have a drink, please? They can't even talk. Now, we know that there are studies that correlate loss of even one year of education to a lower life expectancy. What? Say that again? So there are studies that correlate a loss of even a single year of education to a lowered life expectancy. So normally these studies uh, study dropouts. Like if you drop out in the 10th grade, your life expectancy is lower because you haven't had the opportunity to continue your own personal education and therefore your ability to exist in the world is that much harder. Turn to right? a life of crime. Well, all, for for yeah. whatever reason, um, at, it, the way you you know might feed yourself, the way you might be able to support yourself, the may, way you might be able to reach out for a better job in order to have longer life expectancy, right? All of those things goes up with more education and they go down with less. So this will correlate with lower life expectancy of the school age generation. It just will. Here's Megyn Kelly. I want to play this Megyn Kelly uh, soundbite here. This is what she has to say about the irreparable harm. Play this. As of October of 2021, 5% of unvaccinated adults said they had lost a job due to a vaccine mandate, according to the Kaiser Foundation. Folks like truckers who work alone and are socially distanced naturally for a living. Healthcare workers who were already infected and stood ready to help those who were hurting from COVID booted out of short-staffed hospitals. Nearly 2,000 public employees in New York City alone, where another 6,000 are still waiting for as yet ungranted exemptions. Great, good time to cut back on police in a city rampant with crime. The military, roughly 40,000 unvaccinated National Guardsmen and 22,000 reserve soldiers cut off from their military benefits. Another 3,400 troops involuntarily separated from service for refusing to get the vaccine. Nearly 2,000 of those Marines. Okay, sure, what do we need Marines for anyway? Not all of those folks had natural immunity. Not every single one of them had COVID. But the point is, if they did, zero people connected to Anthony Fauci or his policies cared or would even consider it, thanks to Dr. Integrity. Uh, she goes on to mention all of the other things that are irreparable, for instance, late stage cancers that were div discovered because people did not go to get cancer screening, either because they were too scared to go to a hospital or the centers were closed. Mammograms, um, all of that. Yeah, traffic accident, accidents because of substance abuse that has gone up. Uh, what do they call them? Um, substance abuse deaths that are due to opioids. I can't remember the name, right? Right. Those things have gone up. Addiction in general have gone. There's just, there's so many things that in fact are irreparable because humans are not supposed to be kept in cages like animals. In fact, animals are also not supposed to be kept in cages. Fauci went on to say, you know, that he was the guy really pushing to get kids back into school. 
he said that um, if you go back and people selectively, Neil, put things out on, about out on me on the internet. But it was one. I was one of those people that said we have got to do everything we can to get children back in school. So why'd you take them out of the, in the first place? We knew the data about children, right? We also knew the data, the data about natural immunity, right? And you specifically, Dr. Fauci, knew the, uh, the science around natural immunity. Like if you've had the flu, because you knew this for years. We all knew this. Like if you have the flu, why would you go get, I said this as like, why would I just had the flu? Why would I go get a flu vaccine? Makes no sense. I just had the flu. So I'm going to go get a vaccine that literally has strains from other years that have nothing to do with what's currently floating around. Makes no sense. Why would I do that? Well, the flu vaccine is usually an estimation of what will be the most popular spreads of the coming year. Yeah. It's an algorithm, right? So he knew all about natural immunity because this video surfaced where he was speaking out openly about flu vaccines. Watch. Uh, but she's had the flu for 14 days. Should she get a flu shot? Well, no. If she got the flu for 14 days, she's as protected as anybody can be because the best vaccination is to get infected yourself. And so she if, should if, not she get it? if she really has the flu, if she really has the flu, she definitely doesn't need a flu vaccine. Next, if she really has the flu, she right. should not get it again. No, she day. doesn't need it because the, it, it's, the be, it's the most potent vaccination is getting infected yourself. Now, one of the reasons we were told that that did not apply to COVID is because we could, because they didn't want to give any wiggle room for any exceptions, right? So people who have said, well, I just recently had it, so I don't feel like I need to go sign up and get this vaccine. We were told that if we let some people get out of it, then everyone will try to get out of it. So it ha just has to be this herd immunity and this herd um, mentality of like, there just can't be exceptions, right? right? We can't say anything that will discourage anybody. In fact, uh, there were threats in California to unlicensed doctors who were giving their patients the advice on like, well, you have a propensity to say blood clot or what have you. So maybe you're not the right candidate. And those doctors were being threatened with um, not even just threatened, from. David, right? Like people lost their jobs as a result of it, right? Uh, doctors lost their jobs as a result. Well, and also it's like, you know, if you, what's crazy to me is they always use the excuse, but the data changed, you know, we had new information, but there are three doctors that I followed from the very beginning who their information still hasn't changed. Not one ounce of information has changed. Their website still has the same recommendations. So why did the CDC, the WHO, Fauci, all this information constantly change? And that was just science when these guys were saying what, what they're now coming out to say now way back then. Right, because Dr. Peter McCullough, who one of the people I think you're referring to, and I read his mm -hmm. book and we interviewed him here on the channel. You should go check that video out on Rumble. Um, he specifically said, I, you know, I asked him, he said, well, it comes down to money. Like, I really believe, unfortunately, that it was the money. It was the money to be made at the pharmaceutical level, the biopharmaceutical complex. And that was a name that I had never heard before, but I, I, I love it because I call it the military-industrial complex. And they said the biopharmaceutical complex is just as bad, just as big, just as bad. And so, of course, they're, you know, again, all of these guys are hovering around the White House. They're pushing to get these things through emergency use, use authorization. They're pushing it to make as much money as possible. And when they hear about these other natural uh, or other um, uh, other types of uh, uh, treatments, generics, that, and generics, 
or, or the other things that they can't uh, we can't say on this channel because we'll probably get banned for it that were showing incredible progress uh, keeping people from the hospital. Dr. Peter McCullough specifically with his treatments were keeping people out of intubation, keeping them off of respirators, keeping them out of the hospital and saving lives. Uh, but you weren't allowed to hear about that. Uh, and when you mentioned it, you were made fun of and mocked about it. And CNN called you uh, like an enemy of the state, basically. Um, so it's amazing to see these reversals. It's amazing to see. And now, of course, Dr. Uh, uh, Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, yesterday said that we need to, at the National Institutes of Health, make sure all of the documents that are related to Dr. Fauci are all kept. There's not to be any destruction of documents, any emails, anything related to Dr. Fauci, gain-of-function research um, at the Wuhan lab or otherwise. All of those documents need to be preserved because they would like to move forward with uh, a criminal uh, criminal proceedings against him. So, Well, Congress doesn't have the power to... but. They can make suggestions and we'll see what happens. Yeah. I, you know, I think that what's so bothersome to me at this point is just this sort of shifting narrative. Like, well, now you can say those things. We punished you for a while. We acted like you were crazy. But now you can say those things and that's all right. And no one's ever going to say we took it too far, right? We we took too much control. We were, we're never going to get that. Um, but I can have revenge fantasies about hearing those things. Be nice. It would be nice. Uh, we've got more news to get to. We're going to talk about Serbia in a moment. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Gold Co. Because it is really bad out there right now, guys, with um, with the economy. And a number of employers, 50% of employers say they're headed for layoffs um, by the end of the year or at the beginning of 2023. Um, the U.S. dollar is going to be, I mean, if you've got your family savings in the U.S. dollar, you better get your head examined. Please start protecting your family. Please, please, please do it. I've been saying this for years on this show. That's why we own real estate. That's why we invest in commodities because it's outside of these corrupt governments. Every government currency in world history has collapsed. All of them. Not one has ever survived. Why would the U.S. dollar be the one that suddenly magically does? It's not going to. But gold, silver, have sustained for 4,000 years as a means of preservation of wealth. Through famines, through wars, through collapse of governments, when people who held gold, and I'm not talking like going out and buying huge blocks of gold. What I'm talking about is taking the $100 you currently have in the savings account, which is you know, losing value every day because of inflation, and converting it to gold, where it holds its value against inflation. That's the difference. People don't seem to understand that. And again, it's very, very important to just learn about it. Just learn about it. That's all you need to do. And our friends at Gold Co. have a free gold kit. You can go check it out. Uh, if you go to redactedlikesgold.com, again, just sign up for free. And they, if you then open an account with them to start buying some gold coins and, and storing it, um, they will give you up to $10,000 in free silver when you open a qualifying account with them. But you know, no pressure at all. Just go check it out. Read their gold kit. Again, redactedlikesgold.com is the website to go to. Check it out. Um, and they, when they, the, the, the kit is free, totally free. They'll ship it to you for free. Zero dollars shipping, no handling fees. They'll send it to your house so you can read over um, how this works and understand more about gold and why I'm such a big fan of it. So redactedlikesgold.com is the place to go. All right.
All right, let's talk about Serbia. We've been following this story very closely. It was very interesting to watch um, as the war unfolded. We traveled to Serbia, went to Belgrade, got to meet with a number of really interesting people in Belgrade who, of course, memorize and are very aware of the NATO aggression that unfolded there in 1999, the 78 Days of Darkness. They're very aware and very anti-war and do not want any sort of a repeat of what they went through many, many years ago. Very difficult, troubled times. But uh, it was interesting to watch as I interviewed and talked to different people there about their thoughts about the president of Serbia, uh, President President Vucic. Vucic. It's late. I'm sorry. Vucic. Um, Who had signed oil and gas, uh, you know, gas deals with Vladimir Putin. Of course, Moscow is a big ally of Serbia. And so this was a natural move, he said, to protect his people as we enter into the wintertime, right? Lining up these gas deals with, with President Putin to make sure that we're taking care of our people, right? And it really struck a chord with me because I think wouldn't it's so great to actually see a president saying they're going to take care of their own people, not being influenced by what Olaf Scholz in Germany, who flew to Serbia to have a meeting with them to force them into sanctions against Russia right. and the United States, the this U.S. State Department, furious that Serbia was sticking up for itself. And not willing to interject itself in what it knows is a nuanced war, right? And so when asked about it, he says, look, we've got we've got territorial wars of our own. We don't think other people should be telling you how to handle this. And we're not going to get involved. Right. So today, interesting move and really a stunning statement from Serbia against the European Union. Um, the Serbian minister, uh, Alexander excuse me, Alexander Vulin, hopefully I'm saying that right, to my Serb friends who are watching right now, let me know if I'm pronouncing Vulin's name right, Alexander Vulin. Um, He's very pro-Russian. He's anti-Western. That's well known. He's made plenty of statements against the West in the past about West aggression, etc. So this is nothing new. So he went to Moscow and he met with Sergei Lavrov. And um, during their meeting, he he said, quote, Serbia is the only state in Europe that didn't introduce sanctions and was not part of the anti-Russian hysteria. Basically saying, hey, Serbia is standing with its people. Serbia, which was formerly seeking European Union membership, has for years, according to uh, reports, been drifting away from this, right? We know that they've been drifting away from this. And quite frankly, maybe don't even care at this point. When you see what's happening with Italy, when you see that what's happening in the UK, you see Brexit, you see that Italy is likely to be leaving the European Union. Uh, that is the next shoe to drop when the when Italy leaves the European Union um, upon this next election and the move away from this like cohesive European experience. And Serbia is saying, maybe we don't want to be a part of that anyway. Maybe we don't want your we don't want your mess. We don't want you sticking your nose in what other people are doing around the world. Um, so they are. He's he's basically considered Moscow's man. Um, with the Serbian government, Vulin, um, that he's at, he's been advocating the creation of the Serbian world that would unite all Serbs and the Balkans under one flag led by Serbian President uh, Vucic. Um, and then he went on to say that Serbia should abandon its EU membership goal altogether. Which is bold, right? Because, I don't know, Serbia has been kind of I don't know, they haven't said this outright, but they've been acting as if they no longer care. Yeah, I think that that's true. And instead, in fact, when we've talked to, I've seen a lot of you anecdotally have written to me, emailed me from Serbia saying, we don't want to be 
you know, we don't want to be a part of EU anyway. And they certainly don't like, want to be aligned with NATO right. for the most part. Right. Absolutely and so, not. We, you know, again, they've they've called them war criminals. I think that, you know, if given the choice between NATO and the BRICS nations, it's an easy choice which one they would choose, which is not NATO. So Vulin said that Serbia should abandon the EU membership and instead turn to Moscow, which in many ways they already are. Um, and so what does that mean? Aligning itself with the BRICS nations. Right. Maybe put moving towards a BRICS membership so that. They're aligned behind a currency, a Russian, China, South African, Indian, Brazil currency that's backed by commodities, i.e. gold, silver, oil, uh, again, precious metals, when the Western economies are continuing to print billions upon trillions of dollars that aren't backed by any of that. Again, not backed by commodities. The United States economy is backed by air and debt. The United States moved off the gold standard in the early 1970s. And so, again, when you are a country that's deciding where its future lies and who has your back and what is the track record of NATO bombing your country <laughs> and threatening again to do the same thing, basically. I mean, again, where do your loyalties? You follow a bully? Or do you say, I'm going to protect our people and we're going to align with the, the you know, we're going to align with the country that's actually closer to our sphere anyway and maybe is going to look out for us in the long run. Right. Yeah, it does seem like those were those are where the loyalties lie, or at least the... Um, and again, you know, it was very shocking to us when we were in Serbia to see how many pro-Russians there were there. And the souvenir shops, like the kiosks in the middle of the shopping centers, all had T-shirts with Putin on his, uh, and Z mugs and things like that. Like, it's unabashed, right? And so much of the population there is pro-Russian. So what was interesting, too, is that when they had a meeting last time and I didn't know this, but um, Serbian independent media had reported that they had a meeting in Moscow late last year. Vulin did. And at the time, he handed his Russian counterpart some wiretaps that were found in a Belgrade meeting. And the wiretaps were from the Russian opposition party, the Russian opposition group in Serbia. So he found them and he handed them over to him oh. like as a sign of good faith. But he's like, here, we found these. And so here's what they were trying to figure out. Um, but again, um, shortly afterwards, some of those who were attending in the meeting were arrested in Russia. And then Vulin basically denied that he had handed over the tape. So I don't know. It's very interesting, that side of it. It's interesting. The we found one guy who was, you know, pro-NATO when we were speaking to Serbians. And in Serbia. In Serbia. And yeah. we're like, why do you feel this way? And he goes, well, I watch CNN. I like American media. And we're like, oh, interesting. Because like, no one felt like that except this guy who was a bit of an Anglophile. Yeah. But I mean, you know, look, to be fair, we talk about Milosevic. We talked about, you know, so there's, you know, people there without their, their hands clean by a like big stretch. But it's, it's very important. I'm just I'm looking towards the future and I'm just seeing like where you're trying to take care of your people. You're seeing economic expansion. You're seeing. You're seeing building cranes, you know, building buildings um, and adding economic growth to to Serbia. And at the same time, you're making oil and gas uh, leases with with Russia so that you can protect your people in the winter. Um, and then maybe looking at what the BRICS nations are doing and you're seeing the decline of the West with what fail. Like, do you want to join? We go back to the beginning of the show. Do you want to join these failed energy policies and jump on the European bandwagon? <laughs> 
So you see what's happening in Germany. You see what's happening in Italy. No, I don't want to do any of that. Like if you have I want to choose between like, the two. No. You know. I want to go live like Henry David Thoreau and nobody talk to me. <laughs> An existential existence. Let us know in the chat what you think about that. What would you like to do? Who would you rather join up with? Would you join up with uh, the BRICS nations or would you join up with the European Union at this stage? An interesting question. Well, personally, I, I love putting the boot of freedom up people's ass, so I know which side I would be on. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. That's fun. That's what we do. That's fun for you. We give our boot of freedom. That's how we do it. Uh, that's going to do it for our show. Do we have any uh, super chats we want to get to here before we wrap things up? We don't do. read the ones about, um, you guys don't, yeah. don't write things about my body on super chats. About your body? <laughs> we don't read those. Yeah. <laughs> about my hair, you could call them. <laughs> but I, I saw a few that, let's just skip those. Yeah. Be yeah, nice to my wife. Quite a few. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Mark Hill. Yes, my favorite news show. Thank you so much, Mark. Uh, you could say that. Bilbo Evans. I love and really look forward to tuning in. Keep up the amazing content, my friends. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Bilbo. Bilbo, um, Baggin. Bilbo Baggins, my favorite hobbit. And then you already covered the one from events. Uh, Marshall Asworth and JRI Racing, both with super stickers. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and events, Zachary uh, sent me Moot. Hold on, I'll get to that one, Zachary, in a second. But events sent me an email and a very kind email, thoughtful, um, and uh, and it was apologetic. He thought he had said something to offend, and I said, "No, no, no, we have, you did not." So we no, we enjoy your comments. We thank appreciate you. your comments, and thank you for being a part of our show here. Go ahead, Zachary. Well, you say that, and then the next super super chat from him is offensive. So, <laughs> oh, okay, uh, all right. <laughs> so. We appreciate um, eighty-five to ninety percent of everything. Yeah, yeah. Events we, uh, yeah. eighty-five to ninety-five percent of what you. <laughs> but it's probably um, reciprocal. You know what's funny? We had someone yeah. who used to watch our show. She was, I don't know. She was, she she said she was like in her late late fifties, and she's like, you know, she would comment all the time, and she would try to engage, and then she would then she would like fly off the handle and say some really like nasty things or crazy things and kind of insulting, and then. I, I don't know what would happen. And then she, then she's like, why don't you guys, and then she would like come back and then she was back to normal again. And then she would go, I'm like, you gotta just calm yourself. You can't say nasty things and then expect. We don't like, have to agree on everything. Yeah. So let's just try right. and be we, we don't even want to agree on everything. Like, yeah, that's the true. point. You know? Um, Infinite Soul. It's now safest to assume it is all coordinated Silicon Valley and mainstream media, WHO, CDC, WEF, US Gov, elected and permanent. All are tightly connected. Mm -hmm. And then Gareth Evans and Marie Florence Pro, uh, Prezdemont, uh, both with uh, super stickers. And then we read the Alexander with Animal Farm all over again. Um, Linda Edwards says, I remember her. She, she knows this person. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I do, do too. too. Uh, Rainmaker, haven't had TV for years. I love your news and great to see the normies are waking up. Finally, love you. Love from Can your Canadian salty soldier, Re. Oh, okay. So this these are salty yeah, yeah. cracker. Okay. Yeah, got we got it. it. We got it. Got it. Corn pop. I can't say much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, Corn like pop found us. Uh Chris Lucas's Fishing for Truth. It's all a show. Trump pushed uh, the jab and lockdowns as much as Democrats. Barr covered up uh, Mena for Clinton and Bushes. They are all friends. Feels like that. Well, we know that they were friends before. 
Uh, we know that Trump and Hillary Clinton were friends. They would go to their, I mean, they would at weddings. Bill Barr stuff. was good friends with uh, Bob Mueller, too, yeah. actually. I mean, they all swam in the circles. I mean, you know, Trump was a New York liberal. Like, yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of, you play the part, you know. Melissa Wood, Trump supporters booed him for pushing the vax at a rally. What's the FDA's excuse now, you know, for boosters and approval for children under five? Yeah. Good question. Yeah. Um, let's see. Just me, Nicole. Truckers Convoy use street salt. YouTubers get boots turned white with salt started there. We're saying salted boots on the ground and salty. The YouTuber got his name from it also. Seeking the truth, being salty. So oh, there you go. thank That's you. All the super chat. That's being a good salt. explanation. Okay. Seeking the truth, being salty. I get it. I get, I get it. it now. I appreciate that. Yes. Okay. Is that it? All right. Well, thank you guys. That's um, it. Uh, there was a super chat about book banning, and that is a story I, I have sort of hoped we would get around to, but we haven't yet. So thank you for that. And I, I did see it. All right. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for subscribing to the channel. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, please, uh, if you're not already subscribed, please do. And when you do, make sure you turn on that little bell notification um, so that you'll be notified when we go live. I should mention we do have a newsletter. Let me pull this up here right now. We have a newsletter, which is redacted.inc. We publish it first thing in the morning. We're going to have a full rundown of this YouTube news tomorrow in the newsletter. So here's our website. Take a look at it. Just go to redacted.inc. When you come here, you just click on sign up for our free newsletter, and it's free. And you'll get a neat welcome email from us. And tomorrow morning around 6.30 a.m. Eastern time, you'll get the newsletter. And we publish it five days a week, Monday through Friday. Um, and it'll take you about five to ten minutes to read it over your cup of coffee. Um, no, big, uh, no big time commitment. You can do it while you're getting ready in the morning. Uh, and hopefully it'll make you more informed and you'll, have, you'll laugh a little bit. And, uh, yeah, and you'll be supporting our show here. So thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. We will see you back here uh, once again real soon on Redacted. Thanks so much, guys. Bye now.